unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. All right, guys. So, let's get started. Um, Tonight, I have Jenny with us. Discovered her on the anti-work Reddit. Um, You know, immediately reached out to her. Basically begged. Said, hey, look, we've been wanting to get an HR person on here forever. So, we got one. She's been in the industry 20 plus years. Um, The one thing I do want to throw out there, and she can speak on it because she's got experiences, you know, from people she worked with. Um, but she didn't do employee relations. And if I'm not mistaken, Jenny, you did, uh, your specialty was development programs, recruiting employees, uh, employee engagement, analytics, and strategy. Correct. That is correct. Awesome. So what we're going to do is I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I guess first we'll go over some of the points you made in your post, and then we will kind of devolve from there. So. The floor is yours. I, I love uh, devolving. It's one of my favorite activities. <laughs> um, so first, uh, you know, my name's Jenny. I, I've been in HR um, since I was 19 and I'm, I'm in my mid 40s. So do the math there. Um, I didn't want to go into HR. I just have a very expensive medical condition. I'm in the United States. And I got hired as an administrative assistant in that department and just kind of worked my way up. Um, I've neatly and strategically avoided doing the employer relations job. And that's probably the bread and butter HR job most people think of. You know, it's it's the job where if someone has a complaint or a concern um, or they get terminated or put on corrective action, Uh, That's the employee relations HR job. And I've never done it. I have learned a lot about it um, just by working with the people who do have to do that job. Um, But any questions about that sort of thing, honestly, even if had I done it for the past 24 or 26 or whatever years, it's also organizational specific that I couldn't answer them. What I did specialize in is um, uh, uh, firstly analytics. Uh, I'm actually certified in a number of different statistical things, and I, you know, I, I'm very good at analytics. I'm very good at strategy, and then I kind of segued those into talent development. So it became kind of apparent to me at some point in my career that the math was saying, if you do these things for people, they can flourish and move up. And I kind of found a way to just kind of make a job out of that. Um, so I, I guess that's the kind of introduction to me. I've recently been laid off. I'm on payroll till the end of this year. I have insurance and pay through June, um, but I don't have any work to do after the first. And honestly, they stopped giving me work to do as soon as they told me I was laid off. So Wow. Yeah. All right. All right, so your anti-work post, there were, there were a couple of things, all right? And I'm just going to go over the bullet points. I mean, there was one in there that was kind of, you know, I didn't think it was extremely relevant uh, to the conversation. It was the third point, but the first and second and then your last point were extremely important to what we talk about here. So number one was stop quitting, make them fire you, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, you referenced who does the posts on, like, Glassdoor? Yeah. And then, 
then the last one, which is huge for this gang, um, and I, I'm actually, I actually wrote this down because I, I thought this was excellent and said, um, last and most important, big companies fear unions for a good reason. They slow down the profit machine. However, these big union-busting companies have forgotten that workers control the unions. So have the unions and the workers. Read up on how unions work, form one, and use it. So, if you would elaborate on those points, please, ma'am. All right. Well, I'm going to start with that last one because I feel like that's the most critical. Um, and and just uh, I believe in full disclosure. And I will tell you that I have been the HR person and I was actually the best HR person at this at my organization, which is a huge company. You would know the name if I'd say it, which I won't. Um, I have been the person in charge of and I'm using air quotes, educating employees about unions. Um, I'm extremely pro-union in my personal life. Like, I really want unions to work and be effective. But over the past, say, 10 to 15 to 20 years of being in charge of educating employees about union, I, I, I've noticed a trend. Um, and here, here's how it seems to work out. Uh, what happens is a workforce unionizes. They pay dues to the union. Those dues are the, on, the only source of revenue for the union, the only thing that pays the salary for the people who run the union, the stewards, the, um, or not the stewards, the, uh, the administrators, et cetera. And then the rest of the funds go to lobbying. There's no other source of revenue for unions. And I became very jaded about that. I was like, these are the people who are supposed to be representing employees. But all I see them doing in my life, you know, is taking two to three percent of salary for dues and then not lobbying for any systemic change. I mean, a, a local can do great things for, for their members, right? But these are the people who got us the 40-hour work week. They, they're the people who got us no child labor. And that was awesome in the 20s and 30s and 40s, but now it's 2021, and where are the unions? Why aren't they lobbying, lobbying for a 24-hour work week to be considered full-time? Why aren't they lobby, lobbying for a $30 an hour minimum wage? You know, they're not doing anything. They're just collecting dues and maintaining the status quo. And I understand you might have a great local union, right, that's doing right by you, but largely as an organization, they're not actually going to Congress or going to Washington and asking for systemic changes that we greatly need to give our workforce a fair shake. So I've been largely anti-union for that reason, not because I don't want workers to have rights, but because I don't think unions have been fighting for them. But here's where I just learned something a couple of weeks ago. The John Deere thing was amazing. Mm -hmm. The union stewards sat down with that company. They hammered out a deal that screwed over the union members, the employees of John Deere and the members of that union. And he took it back. The union steward took it back to that group of members, that group of employees, and they told him no. They got to vote no. And I'm just sitting here like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be this HR professional who's super knowledgeable about how unions work. And that's when I learned that the union members could say no to a deal they didn't like. 
Yep. Just because the union rep agrees to it doesn't mean the members have to. And what happened with John Deere, I mean, I recommend everyone read up on this. It was amazing. They got such great concessions out of the company through using their union. But what's really funny is their union didn't do it for them. The union members did. Their union came back with crap deal after crap deal after crap deal. And the members are the ones who held the line. So when I say form a union and understand how they work, I'm saying it from a place of I'm supposed to be an expert. And I just learned a couple months ago, you can tell your union rep you hate the deal. Yep. I know we had a gentleman on uh, a few weeks ago who uh, from Target Workers Unite. And they did like a self-organized thing. And that was something that I was unaware of is that, you know, if you get enough people together, you, you don't have to go through like a big union thing. You can kind of do your own thing. It's that whole strength and numbers um, kind of movement. And they were able to actually make some changes and get some concessions in the store they were in without having any like official union backing. So... I think that goes so, kind of yeah, hand in hand. No, that's that's one of the things I think people don't know. Um, and one thing I did educate people on, and of course I was educating people, you know, from the HR side, but it was like, hey, if you take group demands from your employees and you accept those demands as valid demands and they deliver them as a group, you've just basically by the NLRA, you've let them form a union. You don't mm-hmm. have to join, you know, the the server service workers union of America or the IBEW or the CWA or any of those unions. You can actually just make one happen by speaking collectively. Yep. I uh, got a real quick question for you. Iris asks, and I'm pretty sure we know the answer to this. Who has been more successful in the last 20 years, unions or corporations? with corporations excellent i mean it's obviously oh, hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna talk more about that um just a little bit uh and this isn't from the hr side this is from my general person side um it, it, and keeping in mind i'm mid 40s started working you know before i was 20 etc all of these amazing amazing technological advances we've seen right means that I can work 40 hours a week right now and provide the same result as someone who worked 10 hours a week 50 years ago. Productivity has been massively boosted by technology, but those productivity boosts are only going to the corporations. The workers who are doing the work are being more productive and not getting more money. Yep, that actually started in 1970. In 1970, they were both hand in hand. And then it was to the moon with productivity and to the dirt with the workforce. And and there yep. was something else on anti-work that I, I had posted that I, I'd never looked at it this way. We, we hear the argument that, okay, minimum wage hasn't been raised in 12 years. Okay, sure. But then I saw somebody had flipped it in a different way that was much more profound. It said, okay, in 1938, when minimum wage was created, it was 25 cents an hour. In 83 years, it's only went up $7. Yeah, so I... 
so I struggled using just plain numbers to to measure how unfair this is um, because it, it's I, I think it's more unfair than that. Um, only because if I'm looking at $7, I'm like, well, yo, okay, that's $7. But if we start looking at percentages, right? Like mm -hmm. if we look at percentages, if we want to math this properly, keeping in mind, I have a very strong analytics background. We're not going to look at the dollar amount, the minimum wage we went up. We are going to look at things like, um, how much should profits go up? What's the impact of inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you do that and you factor in all those things and convert them to percentages, you'll see that $7 on top of 25 cents is a very small percentage compared yep. to profits and productivity. So I, I, I agree with, with the general sentiment. I just think there's a better mathematical way to frame it, I guess. If you frame it by percentages, it's even worse than you think. Yeah, now, do are you a proponent for... Um, tying wages with inflation? No, I'm no, not at all. I am a proponent of tying wages to how that company's stock does and also to the total target compensation of its executives. So the reason I said total target compensation, executives are paid by stock. So I don't want to tie the wages of the bottom line worker to the wages of the CEO. I want to tie it to how much that person earns. I, I think inflation is, and I'm not an economics master at all, trust me, but I, I think in, inflation is kind of a false target to aim for. I think if we're really looking for a fair world, a, a world where things work the way they should work, it, it, wages should be tied to what the CEO makes. There, I don't... There's no CEO on earth who should be making in a day or an hour or two hours or a week what their lowest paid worker makes in a year. That's absurd. Absolutely. It's absurd. Um, so kind of going on the wage thing here a little bit and, and being in, you know, HR, obviously, you know, you were in it, you know, to just what, a couple of weeks ago, basically, you know, mm -hmm. how were they dealing with this? quote unquote great resignation as far as trying to screen employees were were they scrambling or were they they're just like oh we're gonna get get who we're gonna get or how are they handling that well i i, I so i'm i'm gonna have to walk you back a bit to answer that question so sure. i will say the organization i work for and was just laid off from uh Four or five years ago, I was the person who ran the report to make sure there was no one in our workforce earning less than $15 an hour. Um, I mean, we, up until a year or two ago, I could have told you that any one of my retail employees could make six figures. We, we pay very well. Um, our benefits are ridiculous. You know, they're, they're awesome. And that's all great. However, we did we did still scramble with this um, with the with the shortage. You know, we shortage for my company specifically. It really wasn't a shortage of workers. We just, you know, as people left, my, my company made a commitment at the beginning of COVID to not lay anyone off during the pandemic. And they oh, they that's good. Yeah, they kept to it. Uh, my job vanished when the pandemic happened. I was hosting like, you know, 300 to 800 person 
development programs that had face-to-face meetings. My job went away and they kept paying me for 18 months. It's a great organization. So our scramble is different because our lowest paid employee is still making at minimum 15 bucks an hour. Our retail employees are still probably pulling in on average, I'd say $65,000 an hour, you know? Um, Our scramble was different. So the world opened back up, you know, vaccines happened, things seemed to get better. And suddenly we were like, oh crap, we need more retail employees. We hadn't laid anyone off, but as people quit, we just weren't backfilling them. And I'd like to also state that when we had to shut down, shut down, we paid all of our retail employees their full pay for the entire time all the stores were closed. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I work for an, it worked for an excellent organization. Um, So our only issue with the shortage was just because our retail stores had been closed for so long. And as people quit or left or whatever, we weren't backfilling them. Suddenly we found ourselves in a position. We're like, oh shit, like customers can come back and we don't have enough employees anymore because we weren't backfilling. So what do we do? Now, so why, we had a, why, hmm? were you, why would you think that, I mean, if the benefits package were great and obviously it sounds like the company did right by them during COVID, what would you attribute, you know, losing people to? So we had we had that um, we had a lot of different things going on. We had some people who just did like kind of boneheaded things, you know. And I I hate to put it that way because I don't want to put it on the employee that they lost their job, but they do like weird crap, you know. They they're like working in New Jersey. We shut down the stores. They moved to Florida. There's a store there that doesn't need headcount, and they can't report back to the store they work at. And they chose not to move home. We also, we had a number, more employees than I'd like to count, uh, literally pass away. I mean, it, it happened. Uh, it, it was a whole thing. It's a retail environment. There's infection spread rates. It's, it's I, I actually spent some time on the COVID contact tracing tr- team. It was terrible. Um, other things like some people got very upset that we weren't opening the stores despite government mandates. So they went to other places. It was just regular matriculation. There was no, um, we didn't see it. What's interesting. We used to see huge up to, we see huge rates of turnover for reasons like uh, going back to school, family, self-care leave, et cetera. We saw those term reasons go down and we saw career change go up. So it could possibly be that people were leaving our retail stores to work non-retail, which is fine. I mean, during the time everyone was staying home, we were just giving them full pay. We didn't see really any turnover. It was once they had to come back to the stores, we we saw the biggest spike, uh, which I totally get. Like, I wouldn't want to go work retail in a pandemic either. I totally get it. So I... I guess I'm dancing around your question, but it's not because I'm trying to hide something. It's just I'm not entirely sure what drove it. Um, But it it was mostly just natural, you know, people quitting for whatever reasons they would have quit before, except not for self-family childcare. Gotcha. All right. So going back to your post, um, the, the very first thing that you had said was stop quitting, make them fire you. Yes. 
now working in HR, mm-hmm. how much reference checks really, really get done? Like for for instance, you know, you have an employee just quit. Yeah. You know, I, I know it's reliant on them telling their next employer they worked for you, but mm-hmm. Did you have to deal with a whole lot of that, like during the pandemic where people had quit on another company or maybe had left yours and you were getting phone calls or was that a different division? So so it's different. It's different where I worked because, uh, again, very large organization. We're, we're in the Fortune 20. If I said the name of the company again, you'd know it. So we, we hire someone outside to do this. So your targets, your Walmarts, your Amazons, you know, that size company, uh, they're going to follow the same process my company was following. Which Did you is guys use the work number? Yes, we use the work Got number. It. All the work number reports, all they will report is dates of employment and last title. You can make up whatever crap you want about your previous titles. As long as your last title is correct and your dates of employment are correct, you're cool. Um, there's some, the work number also does a thing called salary key. Uh, don't lie about your salary. I, I, there are a number of states that won't even ask salary anymore for a lot of legal reasons I, I won't get into unless you ask me. Uh, don't lie about your salary. Don't lie about your dates. Don't lie about your last title. You can lie about anything else. And we will never know. Yeah, because I, I know there's a lot of people out there that feel like there's like some database, you know. Of, no, there, <laughs> no, there's not. We, like literally when we do background checks using the work number, we don't even know if someone quit or got fired. We have no idea. We won't release that information either. We don't release term reason. There's no big database. It's all the work number. And all they handle is dates of employment, final title, and salary, but only if you, as the applicant, call in first and approve someone knowing your salary. Wow. Uh, we got, yeah. I got some statements that came through here, and I want to get your take on this, you know, being a yeah. professional. Um, the fuck today says, so my DM told a sick employee who possibly has COVID to go to the doctor, but to not get tested because he couldn't afford for them to be out in quarantine. Well, your DM's a dick. Yeah. Now that's the whole answer. Now, now from that standpoint, uh, you know, I know there's a fear of going over people's heads, but you know, let's say that employee reached out to their HR department. In your opinion, how would HR approach that? Uh, read the scenario back to me again. Uh, DM told a sick employee who has possibly has COVID to go to the doctor, but to not get tested because he couldn't afford for them to be out in quarantine. Okay. So here's where I got stuck is I'm like, well, how's the DM paying for this testing time? He wants the employee or the non-testing time. He wants the employee to go to the doctor. Is he going to give him PTO for that? going to count against his asset bank, how much notice, all of that aside, if an employee is sick and they tell, they tell their DM, I have symptoms and I'm sick, I, I would hope, and, and I'm sure this would be true at my organization, but I have learned through anti-work, I, I kind of live in an ivory tower, like I kind of work for a good company. I would hope the HR person would say, 
what the fuck DM. And this is something like employees don't really realize. Like when your boss is being a big giant dick, like this guy is being, HR comes down like the, at my company, HR comes down like the hammer on them. They're like, you're supposed to be a leader. Your employee is sick. You want your store to stay open, but you're going to ask the sick employee not to get tested for COVID so they can spread it to everyone else who works in the store. Have you considered the impacts on other people's outlook? What are you doing, DM? That would be like a leadership coaching conversation and probably a number of training classes to correct what the DM did. What would happen to the employee at my company would be entirely different. So the DM would be in a shit storm of trouble. The employee would be reached out to by HR and said, I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. We've set up a number of free testing sites you can go to. If you can't use one of ours, we'll reimburse you for whatever cost. If there is one, most tests are free now in most states. Don't come to work until we get the test result. Yeah, I know for me personally, the one thing I really, and and it does sound like you had a really, really good gig and you worked for a very reputable company that was doing right, you know, for the most well, part by their workforce. For the most part, there, there were some issues where I was like, eh, <laughs> you guys aren't doing the right thing here. But for, for the most part, I feel like my company did well by employees. There, there were some things where I was like, what are you guys, what are you doing here? You know, like, what's your end game? But, like, I look at companies like Walmart and Amazon and even, like, the uh, the small mom and pop shops, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are you treating these people like shit? And, and you know, it, it's it's been my experience, all right, that, you know, most DMs that I've had in my career have been dicks. And it's it was all about making sure that your store was running enough to their standard that it didn't make them look bad to their RVPs that there was a problem. It wanted the, it, they wanted the appearance that they were handling their business <laughs> and, you know, and, and they would push real hard on the I store have, managers. What's that? Oh, Steve, did I lose you? No. Okay. So I have a, a um, yes, you're correct. Uh, I have a story to share and I'll, I'll just lay this out. So uh, the company I worked for, I, I, I sat in headquarters. I was a mid-level manager, um, not very important, but like as far as FaceTime or whatever, however the hell we're measuring that. Um, but I was the person who did all the analytics and came up with all the strategy that, of course, my director then take, took credit for. Um, so I worked in an HQ, uh, and it was a regional HQ. So whenever the CEO came in, uh, he would come in every uh, every quarter. One time he came into one of our offices, and we sent we deployed people. We sent people in two days before to paint all the walls because the place was a shithole. But we did it two days before, so he wouldn't smell the fresh paint smell. Your leaders are painting the turd. Wow. Like, literally, that's what they're doing. Like, your DM is a dick. I'm sure your DM is a dick. But the reason your DM is a dick is your director's a dick. 
and your director's a dick because the VP's a dick. But at some point in that chain from director to VP to CVP to C-suite, no one's telling the leadership what's going on. Oh, if that is a beautiful point. To my office and it wasn't painted, he might know it's fucked up. There's some ego in there, in that chain of manager, DM, director, VP, CVP, whatever. There's somewhere in someone in that chain that can't handle looking bad, which is why your situation doesn't improve. That's a, we had a discussion once before when I was talking about working at the decor store. All right. And the way I see it, I saw it for them was, you know, it was a fairly large company and they only had two regional vice presidents and they basically split the United States in half. And it was very obvious that the regional vice president was the stopgap to make sure no bad information got to home, home office and would do everything in their power to make sure that everybody above him thought everything was just great, but would, yeah. st- but would stop that information flow. It was like at that point he was beating down on his DM, say, fix this fucking problem. The DMs were beating people down for no reason. And what you find out is really the DMs weren't doing their job. And, you know, got their ass in a sling. And, of course, shit rolls downhill, and they start blowing out these store managers, you know, mm-hmm. to cover their asses. And you're, you're well, 100% correct because, you know, I met the CEO of the company, super nice guy. And you could tell this guy had no fucking clue what was going on in his stores. No, they don't. I mean, you know, I, I, I castigate the CEOs because I don't think that they are morally correct to take all of the money they take without paying their people better. But when we get to working conditions, I don't think that's on the CEO in the C-suite. That's on some tiny, like, you know, I am allowed to swear, right? Yes. That's on some tiny small dick energy dude or lady in the command chain. The CEO doesn't know what kind of shit you all working in. They might be dicks who are taking way too much money and not paying you enough, but they don't know shit like the hot water. I mean, I was in the executive suite and my hot water didn't work for six months and they just told us all to go down a floor because the lease was up because it was too expensive to hire a plumber. Like, it's absurd. Like, if if you don't... if y'all ever get the chance to like have like the CEO come in and do a round table and your boss coaches you on what to say and what not to say, because they do that right before the CEO comes in, mm-hmm. the employees are sat down and said, Hey, this is, you know, I, this is how they do it. But, oh, well, make sure you don't say this, paint all the walls, do that. If you don't tell these CEOs your working conditions, we don't get to blame them for those. So I, I guess I feel like pay, Blame the CEO, working conditions, that's your leadership. It might not be your direct manager. It it might not be your DM. It might be your director. I mean, I've seen some ridiculous shit where I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing over there? Well, I think one of the funniest things, and and you kind of touched on this with that statement, is, you know, there was that article about Macy's was going to send corporate people to work into the stores. 
And everybody's like, ha ha. And I'm like thinking they're not going to be stocking freight because what's going to happen is that store manager is going to get a phone call from his DM saying, these yep. people are going to be working in your store. You better make sure this and this and this and this and this is done. And there better not be any problems. So these people oh. from corporate come in, they spend a couple of days there and they go back thinking, well, this ain't so bad because they didn't see the truth. No, Steve, they don't even they don't even spend time working there. Like I've gone on those visits. This is what happens. This is what happens. Someone from HQ it involves some asshole from HR and they say, hey, make sure the leadership's aware so they know what to expect. So we don't surprise them because we need leadership to trust us, right? So we don't want to surprise them. And then it comes down like you better not screw up. And then the executive visitor goes in, they, they say it's a retail store. They walk into or a call center. Let's go call center. They walk into a call center. All the walls are freshly painted, but they don't stink anymore. Um, that person might take one or two pre-screened calls to, you know, let them feel like they did the everyman experience. There's probably going to be a taco bar. Um, their secretary already told the secretary of the building what their favorite sandwich was. So that's definitely in stock. I literally once had a, like an executive VP of HR who only drank warm Diet Coke. And she would do surprise visits. But every time there was a surprise visit, there would be warm Diet Coke. Smoke and fucking mirrors. <laughs> These people do not see a single thing. And when y'all bitch to your managers, which you should do, at some point in the chain, those complaints stop. You might tell your manager they're going to coax you into like not escalating. You might call your DM. They might raise it to the director. The director's going to say, my VP doesn't want to hear about that. And then it stops. And then it stops. Like, it's not like my CEO knows that we, we once pulled rat traps out of a call center because he was coming for a visit to learn about the every man. There were rat traps under people's desks. Wow. And we pulled them out to hide them. Wow. That's terrible. <laughs> That's a new one for me. Um, I got a question for you that came through the chat. Um, Irish Connection asks, what has the biggest influence on the bottom line, employee morale or employee discipline? Neither. It's employee productivity. I, I would agree with that. Because if you don't produce, the stores don't hit their goals and people ain't getting yeah. paid. They're, the, the profit's not there. Yeah. It, it, employee morale. Uh, I. Uh, it, what's very frustrating for me to hear about employee morale versus employee discipline, right? Uh, I I spent a, quite a bit of time being the anti-union guy, um, and I I did it a certain way. I was like, hey, if we treat the employees well and we are good to them. Uh, and we develop them and get them promotions and pay for their college degrees and do all these things, you know, their morale will naturally be high. I enjoyed my time in that job. I mean, yes, I was a union buster. No, I, my beliefs didn't really align with what I was doing, but I did find a way to be like, just be good to employees. And then right. they won't want a union. 
but then you get into uh, where my company went now, which is entirely different and I won't talk about, but like employee morale and employee discipline only matter so long as you can retain employees, right? Um, my, my company to backfill an employee cost me $35,000. So if you get paid less than that, I'd rather not fire you. So I'm going to give you five or six or seven or eight warnings, however many it takes to make you get in line. Um, I don't like doing it, though. So that, that is that number you threw out there. That's something I've heard a lot through my career. So it, was that your average on replacing an employee after you put all the time into training and development and whatnot? No, that was before training development. Um, uh, and oh, wow. also, I, I, I should... Uh, reference the fact that that number is six years old for me because mm-hmm. uh, I, I haven't worked in recruiting strategy for a while. Um, no, that was just the the sourcing, uh, you know, finding the person, background check, interview, et cetera, salary for recruiter, salary for manager, parsed out by time. Um, did you guys use the software to like basically pre-screen resumes? You'll have to be more clear in your question. Um, we had a guest on one time talking about how that there was software out there that when people would like do resumes online or, or job applications, that basically if you didn't click enough boxes or check enough boxes, so to speak, you would not even get looked at, that there was some sort of no, I'm uh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off. Yes, I'm familiar. Uh, my company did not, but I am familiar with the software. Uh, what we did instead, because uh, there are options here, right? So if you don't, I mean, it, if you apply for a job and it says, I want these things, and you go in and you have choices from drop downs and say it, say it says, I want a four year degree and you only have a two year degree. And you pick from the drop-down to your degree. No, they're not reading your resume. Right. If that's what you're getting. They're not even seeing it. Um, it's it's not even like it's not even like if all the four-year degrees wash out, they'll see your two-year degree. Uh, it's they're never going to look at it. What I would advise, though, um, and this is only based on my company, obviously liability clauses here but if you were to apply for the company i'm leaving and say i have a four-year degree and then you get the interview and you get the offer and you get to the background check and now you're back and they say i want to verify everything before your background check they'll say you have a four-year degree and you can say no i have a two-year degree and they'll move your box for you. The most critical step if you're going to lie about shit is to get it through the interview, but once you get to the background check, correct it all with the recruiter. That person is not paid enough to care. The recruiters at my company, which is a well-paying company, are making like 60 grand a year. If you applied with a four-year degree, but at the background check point, say, I only had a two-year degree, they don't care. They'll just move your box for you. Speaking of degrees, mm-hmm. um, there's I've seen several retail establishments 
you know, wanting to hire store leadership and whatnot, requiring four-year degrees. Now, yeah. from now from a gentleman who has been doing this since he was 18 years old, I find that insulting and horseshit. Why is that? All right. So here's my theory on this. Uh, again, I've, I'm in my mid-40s, HR for 24 years. I just finished my degree a year and a half ago. So I, I think uh, degree requirements are entire bullshit. Here's why they do it. Um, and it's very math-driven. It's not even like a, a dickhead move. It's just at the end of the day, up until recently, there were many more applicants than there were jobs available. And there are only so many things you can legally screen someone out for. Do I think a degree has any sort of value? No. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that, and I don't mean to offend anyone who worked really hard in college, but I just got my degree a year and a half ago. And two years ago, I was learning about Netflix's genius digital marketing plan that involved them mailing new DVDs to people. It's all outdated information. The college degree is not teaching you anything you need to know to be successful in business. However, it is the only thing employers are allowed to filter on legally. I just think it's, it's, it's a poor look because I've, I've seen this happen at places I've worked where you get some broad-eyed, bushy-tailed youngster that got them a four-year business degree, and they say, hey, you've never worked in retail, but we're going to make you a store manager. That has got fail written all over it, and they never last, and it's like, why bother? Why are you not, you know, sourcing? Why are these companies not sourcing, you know, talent? And, and like, to your point, you know, you were involved in sourcing store leadership, correct? Mm-hmm. So what would, what would you look for? Um, the, uh, so the company I worked for or still work for, uh, we didn't hire external leadership. We only promoted people from inside. There are some fault. Obviously, there will be exceptions there. You know, we we broaden executives from outside. But like, if you want to lead a store where I work, it, I mean, it, we don't post manager retail manager positions externally. Even things like office managers, like me. You know, we're not. It, it, had my job not been eliminated, had I quit. They wouldn't post my job externally. We want people who have been in the trenches. That's admirable. I wish there was more of that. Uh, well, this is where this is something I learned from anti-work because I, I, you know, I've always been anti-work. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair that I have to give up a certain percent of my life to make some other person rich just so I can survive. And I feel like that's kind of the backbone of anti-work. Unless I'm reading it wrong, I, I don't think I should have to work. Like I'm human, I have these rights. I have, you know, I should get food, medicine, water, and shelter. You know, just because I'm human here, like the same way we treat like stray cats. You know, yeah. I, 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 you know, so. Uh, you there? 
Sorry, I, I got distracted by dogs wrestling. I understand. I have a house full of cats. <laughs> no, hold on one second. Sure. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're fine. All right, where were we? Um, talking about, uh, you know, working through the trenches. Not promoting from, I mean, promoting from within and not. Yeah, you know, I would never. Yes, at my company, we won't hire managers externally at all in the retail space. We might hire some in the business space, but in the retail space, you have to work through the trenches. What's really interesting, though, is like, and I, Steve, I think I, I told you about this before we started the call, is uh, like a couple of years back when I'm trying to to develop people from the front lines to be leaders, I asked if I could spend a month in the store. Mm-hmm. Um at my current organization, I had never worked in a retail store. And I'm leading all these people through different trainings, and they're asking me questions about, like, how to do inventory and the stock room. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea, right? So I went to my boss, and I was like, hey, could I spend, like, a month, like, just in the store, like, working with them? And he was like, why would you want to do that? I'm like, because I'm supposed to be, like, developing them? And if I don't know what they do and what their managers do, I can't really bridge that gap. And he's like, yeah, you don't want to do that. And it, here, here's the thing people really don't understand. And I mean, they just really don't, including myself, we really don't get it. Like the people sitting in these meetings and sitting in these boardrooms, most of them have never worked in a retail store in their life. You might have one or two mid-level managers who worked in a store. You might have one or two executives, you know, who like came up with the company. But most of these people are the children of privilege. They're not, I mean, these people don't want to work in the trenches with you. They're also judging you for doing it. Like one time when I was dealing with a union thing, this one manager came out and he's like, Hey, if the union's so good to those guys, why is he driving around in a 1987 Astro van? Wow. Like, they're horrible people. Like, these, it's not just the C-suite. The people in the middle manager suite where I sat, and I'm sorry for sitting there, but I do need to survive. They're terrible people who are judging you. I mean, do, does anybody ever like stand up and say, Hey, that's a horrible fucking idea. You shouldn't do that to the people in the stores. And, and if they do, they just get laughed at. Well, I did that. And what was their I response? Did, I was told to tone down my perspective. And then I sat quiet for a number of years and I raised some stink recently about some new rules that came down and now I'm laid off. So I just, uh, the response generally seems to be, don't bring me those problems. We're going to do what the fuck we want to do. And we don't care. We have decided fiscally speaking, the best choice is this. And that's what we're doing. Wow. That is, um, so we had another question come through said, uh, why do you think years of experience has been devalued in favor of college degree requirements? Or do you think that goes back to what you said? It's just a way for them to screen. 
Yes, no, years of experience has not been devalued in favor of college requirements. Years of experience doesn't get hired because they are paid too well. A recent college degree person will take much less money. They might be shit at the job, but they'll learn eventually. And we don't want to pay you six figures anymore. Yep, that that's a huge thing right there. You know, they don't they don't want to pay. You know, the years worth of experience because at that no, point, they in time, don't. And you know what? The, the only people who suffer are the customers, which are again the same people as the workers. No one cares. That is, it um, doesn't. Terrible. It doesn't matter if your clerk at the store does a shit job for the big box thing because you're still going to go to Target. You're still going to go to Walmart. That's going to be a new person. You're going to have sympathy. Um, Hero asks, do you think it's the looking down upon people that makes them see people as a controllable expense rather than talented investments? No, I think, um, unfortunately, we work in a landscape where people are a controllable expense. And what makes them look down on you is they don't understand they are also a controllable expense. Mm-hmm. Correct. All right. So I want to hit this last one before we get off here. This was from your AMA that you had posted. Mm-hmm. And you oh. said HR as a function serve to protect the company from litigation, manage the workforce, and advise on strategy issues that will improve metrics and productivity. So by that, Irish had asked the question, um, basically, to that point, does HR work for corporate, or is HR really working for the employee? Well, present HR, present company excluded. Well, no, HR absolutely works for the company. I mean, when you know, not even present company excluded, I'm paid by the company. So when I go into a meeting with the executives and advise on HR strategy, I'm not generally going to sit there and go, what's going to be best for the employee? Um your HR person, your HR rep, the person you see day to day that you bring complaints to works for the employee or for the employer. Um, what I can tell you though, and none of them wanted to do it. You know, they all like thought I'll go into HR, you know, I'm going to help people. And then you go to those business management classes and those HR degree classes and you learn, oh, no, it's about protecting the company from litigation. So while HR works for the company, I, they don't want to. They just have to. They have to pay their bills, too. I, I will also I, I no, I'll also tell you, like, I have seen a, like your HR reps in the store. We call them HR consultants at my company. The HR reps who go into the store when some manager is just being terrible or when the company policy is bullshit, these people bring those complaints back and they fight hard for the employees. And when they go into your store, 
to tell you that your complaint led to nothing or to tell you that you have to not sit down at work anymore or to tell you you've lost your job, they go home at night and they cry. Like, they don't want to do that. They, these people are making like 60, 70 grand a year. They don't want to lay you off. They don't want to tell you you can't have a stool. They're fighting for it. And they get told no. I would think that, and, and I've said this before, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't matter what position you hold, but there's always good people and bad people in these positions. And I, and I feel like, like you just said, most people who really get into HR, they go into it with the mindset that they are there to help people, just like you said. No, they, they really think it. Like, they go into it like, I'm going to help people. I'm going to get them leave. I'm going to get them benefits. I'm going to help them. I'm going to protect them. And then you get there and they're like, oh, no, we just have to figure out how to maximize the resources that happen to be human for profit. Yeah, but if you won't agree to that, we'll stop paying you. Right. And do you think there's been a lot of turnover in HR because of, I guess, for lack of a better term, the people like that who get into the business realize it's not that way and they kind of see it as a moral dilemma and they try to get out? It's kind of similar to being a store manager, really, in a way. Yeah, uh, well, I'd say up until I'd say up until COVID, no. Most people just kind of, like everyone else in Antwerp, right? We just kind of accepted this is what we had to do to get along. Um, over the past year and a half, I mean, HR, finance, marketing, all those things, the, those are low turnover things. What we call low turnover where I work, uh, you know, we're talking, I used to be looking at like 1.5% annualized turnover for HR, finance, marketing, et cetera. Now I'm looking more like 20. Wow. Yeah, it's like crazy. And they're not they're not just leaving the company though. Like I, I, I factor in when I do this, like leaving for other jobs. I, I've seen a lot of HR people leaving for operations, like how to make things work better. Like the like the person who figures out who changes your light bulb in the store. Like I've seen a lot of that movement. And I would also think that with the pandemic, I mean, that unfortunately magnified the worst in a lot of industries and a lot of people. And I would imagine that you would have people that have taken some of the skills that they've learned in HR, like you said, and ventured into something else because it became an eye-opening experience when some of these companies, you know, really didn't care, you know, what was going on with their workforce. It, so I didn't see a lot of that because, again, my company just kind of refused to lay anyone off during the pandemic. I, I'm sorry. Uh oh, they took the trash out. <laughs> uh, my neighbor actually. <laughs> Dogs, hey, stop. Um, I, I I would say at my company, uh, no. It, it, but I it, one thing I've learned from anti work is I I work in a very different place. Like, uh, it, so my company was terrible a few years ago, and uh, probably about three or four years back, um, our CEO who was American was replaced by European. And then the entire C-suite got replaced. You know, the Americans were replaced by your replaced by Europeans, and suddenly they were just throwing money at us. Like they were like, "Oh, you work a lot. Here's more money." Um, 
And so it's hard for me to answer the question just because I feel like during the pandemic, I European leadership, which is different. Right. Um, We'll end on this question because I think this is the best one. Irish Connection asks, what is the biggest misconception about human resources? Well, so uh, the the biggest misconception about it is that we're uh, corporate cops. And I understand some of us are. Um, but when we have to do that, if we're corporate cops against the managers, I mean, my... Uh, so in my company, um, probably 5% of HR headcount is dedicated to employee relations, the corporate cop job. But they're busting the managers. You know, we're not, we don't give a shit about your attendance. We don't even care. Like finance cares about your attendance. Your manager cares about your attendance. We don't care. Um, on uh, we're not these headhunters. You guys, we're not, when we have to lay you guys off, which we don't want to do, it's only because finance sent us a list and said, lay off these people. You have the conversations. Wow. We, we aren't laying you off. We aren't firing <clears throat> you. When your manager touches your butt and we can't prove it and we have to keep employing him, even though we know that guy's a fucking scumbag, it breaks us. That is, look, I I wouldn't wish your job on anybody. I mean, honestly, I mean, I I got to think. I wouldn't risk. I wouldn't wish the retail manager job on anyone. It's a terrible job. Yeah, it it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all. Well, I take that back. When when you're younger and your body's not physically broken and you think you can go a million miles an hour, it it was tolerable. But when you start getting older and jaded and realize how shitty people are, yeah, it gets kind of bad. Yeah. I mean, the same thing. I mean, to your point, you know, getting a call from HR, you know, saying you need to let such and such person go, you know, like we discussed before we went live. It's not that we want to do that. You know, it's or, or you know, like you said, you know, having to cut people's hours and things like that. These are not well, decisions. We don't want to do any of that. Yeah. Like my my only involvement in layoffs and I, and I am kind of complicit here right because i am in, you know i had some analyst time so when finance sent the spreadsheet down and said you know pick who to lay off i'd do some math and draw a line in the spreadsheet i was definitely that guy uh who said here are your people uh cuz finance said this many and I waited. But you out. looked at it from an analytical standpoint. Though. Well, I had to. I didn't even, I, I would block out employee IDs, names. Yeah, I was doing finance. Uh, and then this last few rounds, my entire job was, it, this was actually really sad and I really hated doing it. Um, once someone else had drawn the line because I got promoted, so I didn't have to, I was leading some like webinars on how to find internal jobs for these people we have laid off. So we have these open positions. They're welcome to apply. And I'm sitting here like, no. And we flag them as laid off. And the managers are supposed to read that as hire, like put this person in the job so you don't lose the money. And they read it as, what a jackass. No, I'm not hiring that guy. Wow. That's awful. Well, yeah, it's pretty awful. So, So how long of a break do you have? Before you have to I'm get back at it. I'm not entirely sure. I'm kind of like, um, 
I don't know. I don't think I want to go back. Like, I, I kind of figure out um, different states I could live in where I could buy land cheap and just not do it anymore. Um, but I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to urban America. Like, I, I don't like it. It's, they're all terrible people. Like, the executives are clueless and the middle management is judging you. And I, I just don't think I want to work there anymore. So, but I'm not sure I have a choice. I am a, I'm a type one diabetic and I have to afford insulin and I live in the U S Yeah, so I, which is a nightmare in itself right there. Yeah. I can't even get into it. Like I, I'm a wage slave. I, you know, I know I'm this scary HR manager, but I mean, I die in like three to seven days if you take my insulin away and the shit's like two to 700 bucks a bottle and I use a bottle a week. Like that, that and see, that's something that just needs to fucking change. We, 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 that, well, that's awful. It, it's never going to change. The reason health coverage is tied to jobs is if it's not tied to jobs, we don't have to be their slaves anymore. Ooh, that is very well put. So they, that you have to be in the workforce or you die, basically. Well, if you're me. Well, not just you, many other people. Maybe, no, maybe if you're a young, strapping 20 to 25-year-old with no pre-existing conditions, maybe you can go do the van life thing. But if you're me, I mean, my medicine's two to $700 a bottle. Yeah, I have to work for them. That that's just we eventually we're going to. Would you be having been in HR? So you've dealt a pretty good bit with health benefits and things like that. Oh yes. So would you be willing to come back uh, sometime soon? And let's just do an episode talking about you know how shitty health benefits are and whatnot that you get as an employee. Oh yeah, I'm in. Oh, that that would be great. And, uh, you know, we had an episode with a former pharmacist on here. And, you know, he was talking about basically the drug prices are just manufactured numbers. And some of the stuff that he was coming up with was just like frightening as hell. So, but. Um, yeah, I, sorry about the dogs. Oh, it's okay. Um, but thank you so much for being on tonight. I will, I will be in touch with you. If kind of like in your off time. If you've got kind of like an angle you would like to go on as far as the benefits go, kind of put it together and let me know. And um, well, all, all my time is off time, so. Oh, I got you. And then, you know, kind of chart out what you would like to talk about, and we'll do this again because I'd love to do one on, on health benefits. Oh, yeah. No, I'm there. Oh, I should tell you, uh, one of my HR jobs, other than being a type 1 diabetic and working in HR, I was HR for a benefits company. Oh, Okay, so th- it's a date. We'll, we'll figure this out because because there are All several right. people in the chat that we've we've had discussions offline wanting to do an episode like that, and I I think we got our winner here. Yeah, no, I am in for that. And it's Steve, thank you so much for bringing me on. I'm oh. sorry about the dogs. Oh, it's okay. We've had dogs. We've had children. We've had cats. It, like I said, we we don't lipstick on the pig here. It is what it is. All right. Awesome. So thank you, Jenny, for being here. Um, guys, um, next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Family Dollar, how dollar stores exploit 
urban and low income neighborhoods. So that's going to be fun. Um, if you haven't checked it out, go check out, uh, don't be a Karen this year our our Christmas song. So that's a lot of fun. Um, and thank you again, Jenny, for being here. We'll get the benefits thing lined up and everybody, we will see you next time.